0: Okay, well, why don't we stand and read Matthew five, fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to the first sermon in the start of a new year. And as you can tell by the reading this morning, uh, we're not in Revelation. We will begin Revelation next week and, and work it through until the end. But I wanted to start with a topical sermon this year as a means of hope and encouragement to you, hope and encouragement. As you know it's the time of year when people make all sorts of resolutions and it's a time when you sort of evaluate your year in the past and uh, seek to make changes and set any goals and whatnot well i thought as a church we could kind of do the same thing but in this case in terms of our renewal and encouragement and changes in terms of our spiritual understanding of who we are in the lord and our purpose and so again this is all about our purpose and identity in Jesus. And this is a message of hope to you, to re, re, re-encourage you if you're kind of down and out, and even change your thinking. I guarantee you that every one of you will be challenged today in terms of how you view yourself in the Lord. So the context of our passage is the Sermon on the Mount. And this was a, a sermon that uh, Jesus gave uh, early on in his ministry. And it's probably the most famous sermon he ever did. And definitely the most radical, like in terms of like a a concise sort of sermon in terms of teaching. Uh, Daryl Johnson is a professor at Regent College in Vancouver. And I was going through some course options for myself. And I found him teaching a course on the Sermon on the Mount. And when I got the the syllabus from him, it was kind of cool. He actually says, I want every student to write a discipleship program to help someone live out a Christian life with no other scripture in mind. In other words, you can actually teach someone how to be a disciple of Jesus if all you had was a Sermon on the Mount and no other scripture. That would be enough for you to know how to live for God and to know God. And so the challenge is to the students is to write this discipleship course, to lead someone to Christ, and to to maintain their faith in the Lord. Kind of a a cool thought. I'm hoping to take the course... And I'm hoping to actually teach this one day in the church so that we understand exactly what he means by each phrase. But what's really cool here is that one of the things that Jesus says is that he gives us a clear understanding of who he sees us to be and how we're to live in this world. He says right in the beginning, you are the light of the world. Now the you, of course, he was talking to those who had chosen to follow him. And his disciples were highly in mind. They were, they're the part of the audience. So, you here is talking to followers of Christ, people who've already made the commitment and surrendered their life to him. And you know, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not be in darkness. So, when we put our faith in Christ, we obviously become light as well. So, right off the cuff, then, we're going to talk about our purpose, our purpose as believers. Now, he says, you are the light of the world. So the first thing we learn then is that if we are the light of the world, if followers of Christ are are the light of the world, then that means that Jesus must see the world as being in darkness. He must see the opposite to be true, that the world is in darkness. Now, darkness and light, as you know, are often words used in the Bible to illustrate the spiritual realities of the world we live in. Light is always associated with God, his truth, and his way. Darkness, of course, is everything that's anti-God and is seen is under the power of Satan, his demons, and the world's system that we follow, or that, that, that well not we don't have to follow, but the people of the world generally follow. Ephesians six chapter Ephesians six twelve says it this way for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places and the cool verses and found in Colossians 1 13 when you give your life over to Jesus and surrender to him you are it says here that you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his son so the salvation experience is said to be moving from one kingdom to another from darkness to his son or from darkness to light but this is where it gets really cool uh, family This is the second point I want to make from this from this opening verse, is that Jesus clearly then sees his followers as having a significant role to play in alleviating the darkness in the world. Right? If the world's in darkness, he says, You are the light of this world. And then he continues to substantiate this by saying, a city cannot be hidden on a hill, or sorry, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. The whole point of this illustration, or these two illustrations that Jesus gives, is to say that light serves a purpose. Light serves a purpose. Like a city set on a hill, and like a lamp on a stand instead of being under a basket, it's meant to be visible. It's meant to be seen and it has a huge influence and impact on those who are around it. Likewise, the light within us, as a result of our relationship with Christ, is to be manifested to the world. It's to be seen, it's to be visible, and it can have tremendous influence. I'm reminded of the influence of light when I uh, go camping every year. Those of us who sort of go to Little Bow and different places like Kananaskis, you know you know, uh, at nighttime it gets so dark so quickly and if it wasn't for my cell phone with that little minuscule LED light, I'd have probably a decapitated head from a branch and a twisted ankle. That little bit of light is everything, all I need to get through the darkness of the campground. And so that little light has tremendous influence. It keeps me safe. It gets me to the location that I need to be. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And just like a city and a lamp, you your light has tremendous influence. Look at verse 16. He says, your light will shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So the good works are the way we speak and the way we live as a follower of Christ. The light in him shines through us. And as we live out our faith, it says that you can actually, through the way you live your life, lead others to Jesus Christ. The people who are glorifying you, the Father in heaven here, are the people that have seen your light. And they're like, wow, this is what it is to be a follower of Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him. I, I put a one-liner to this um, as I was thinking about this. It came to me just sort of in the quiet of my quiet moment in the day. It said, it was, I worded it this way. Jesus wants people to see through us what he's done in us. Jesus wants people to see through us what he's done in us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty incredible and humbling statement. God you know, doesn't actually need to use you and I to save anyone. If he can create Adam and Eve out of the dust in the ground and create humanity, and he can put all the laws of nature into the world and keep everything under control in those ways and, and raise people from the dead, He can save people and take care of everyone's spiritual needs fully on his own. He's fully capable. But that's not what he wants to do. He actually desires to partner with you. He wants to use you in growing his kingdom. That shows you that we have a God who's relational and not so far off and distant. But here's the key observation I don't want you to miss from this text. And we're going to build the whole sermon off of this observation because we are to have a transforming influence in the world and because we are lights jesus then assumes that you and i will be engaged in it (laughs) you're going to bump shoulders with it you are the light of the world in darkness not the light of the church in this building you are not the light of the church you're the light to the world the only way you can be a light to the world is to be involved in it, <laughs> to have an influence. Now, we have to obviously now rethink how we live out church corporately and as an individual with this in mind. We've got to rethink how we do things here. And we already started, but I want to add more fuel to the fire. You know, as a church, we've already began that process. In our culture, and we started off the church plant with this mindset not in mind, but it slowly became kind of the, the way we kind of did life, even though we were trying to fight against it. But we need to change our perspective. The, the mindset of the Western church in North America is come and see, come and see, come to Genesis House, come in the Alliance Church, come to EFree, come and like, join us in fellowship. The message of the Bible is go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. Jesus' own words in Matthew 28 and 37, I believe. He says, go into the world and make disciples. We like to talk about the baptizing, the teaching to obey all the commands. We forget the first, two, the first letter, G-O, go. Go into the world and make disciples. And so what do we see? Although we see Jesus going into synagogues, his, his primary ministry was on the streets, in the towns, and the countrysides of Israel. Yes, he was in the synagogues, but primarily he was on the streets, in the countryside, and in the towns of Israel. John chapter 4 Where did he meet the woman in Samaria? In the synagogue? At the well. Where did he meet the Syrophoenician woman? In the synagogue, no, in Mark chapter 7, he went to Syria and met her in her house to exorcise a demon out of her daughter. In Matthew chapter 5, where is Jesus preaching this message? In the synagogue? No, on the Sea of Galilee, overlooking it. And Laurel and I got to go where they think the Sermon on the Mount took place and see where, what the crowds would have looked like there it was kind of a cool thing. How about in Acts chapter 8? The men, men and women are studying this in, in our Bible studies. Where did Philip go to preach the gospel and lead a revival in Samaria? In the synagogue? No. <laughs> in, the, in the towns and countryside of Samaria. Actually, it was in the town of Sychar. No, it's not, maybe it wasn't Sychar. That was uh, the woman's, where the woman in the well was from. But you get the point everywhere they went it was the majority of the ministry was out there in the world exactly what jesus says you are the light of the world not the church so how does this apply to us well we've already started to make the adjustment we've already started to make the adjustment corporately we're looking to go out into the community and start praying for people and asking god to bring healing to their lives both physically and spiritually And this is really important because, again, we have to rethink corporately how we're going to do things. We have to become the best church for our community, and we do that by bringing God's presence and kingdom to this community, by being lights for him. I love what Rick Warren said. He said, a church is not measured by its seating capacity by by its sending capacity. We're not measured by how many seats are filled here, We're measured by what we're doing out there and being a light to the world and so we're going to continue corporately to do this but let's talk about us individually this is where it gets really fun and really cool I want to first explain the process a little bit of salvation and what God gives us and what that means for us when we become a Christian so You know, we've talked about the ABCDs, right? You acknowledge that you have sinned against God. You believe, B, that he did something about that by sending his son to the cross to die for our sins as a substitute. In realizing that, we C, confess our sin, knowing that we've sinned against God. And D, that we then dedicate our lives in obedience to him as an act of love towards him for what he's done for us. But what's cool is when you confess your sin and you repent and become a Christian, God gives you something supernaturally. He gives you someone, I should say, supernaturally. Look at this in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were given... The Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, at the time you believed. Consider Titus 3, in verse 4. When the kindness of the love of God and our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So you are given the Spirit of God when you confess your sin and you dedicate and believe in Him. Now, here's what's amazing. In Matthew chapter 4, before this verse, Jesus begins His ministry, and He says this, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why does He say that? Because Jesus... God incarnate has come to earth, and as God lives and breathes on this earth, he can declare the kingdom of God is there because he himself has come from there. So when you encounter Jesus, you're encountering the kingdom of God because everything he says and does is an expression of God. And when you're in your presence, you are like, yeah, you're in God's midst. Well, here, but then he says this, I have to go be crucified, but I will send you a helper. The Holy Spirit. So who's the Holy Spirit? It's God's presence. It's God's presence. So when here's what's really cool. When you as an individual go anywhere in this world and encounter any social situation and walk into any environment or any room, you are bringing the presence of God with you everywhere you go, and the kingdom of God's at hand. Do you ever think of that? The Holy Spirit, God's part of his trinity, is living in you. When you are the light of the world, and I walk into Costco, I'm bringing light into darkness. When you work as an engineer, and you walk into Fleur, you are bringing the light of the world into that darkness. When you're a mother, and you go to the park, you bring the light of the world into the darkness. You see how cool that is. See, we compartmentalize our thinking in terms of who we are as as Christians. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a. I work as an engineer. I'm a. You know. I'm a referee. I'm a student. I'm a son. Whatever. You know. We put titles on ourselves. When Jesus says, "You are the light of the world," were there fathers there? Yep. Were there people that were fishermen there? Yep. Did he distinguish and name anybody by title? Not at all. He said, you, regardless of title, are the light of the world. That's your starting purpose, your primary means of the way you live your life. From there, you live in the role of father. You live in the role as husband and wife and son and engineer and referee. Isn't that cool? You are first, first and foremost a light bearer everything else flows out of that and you know what you know how this changes everything well I'm gonna give you three stories of how this practically works out but listen to how this changes everything a friend of mine a few years ago was really really down and out and was struggling for months and months about where he was in terms of work he was always frustrated with work and when we sat down and talked with him his struggle was this he felt he never measured up and he felt he was wasting time in the career that he was in because he wasn't like me, a pastor, who could go and do things for God. (laughs) If I had your job, Andrew, I could do way more for the kingdom. Do you know his mistake? He saw his work as a place where God was absent. The truth was, he didn't need to quit his job to pursue kingdom ministry. He needed to realize his work was his kingdom ministry. Every day he was on kingdom assignment. He could have been, but didn't even know it. Because he's a light bearer in the workplace. Laurel, you got it. Like, you totally got it. And I appreciate you for saying this a couple of weeks ago or, or, or whatever. You said publicly, either it was either here or in my house at the prayer meeting, you said, Andrew, one of the things I was worried about you for Now, listen to the irony of these words. When you became a pastor, you would lose your evangelistic uh, care and touch in terms of uh, ministering to people. Listen to those words. You becoming a pastor are going to lose your care for the lost in this world. (laughs) But she's bang on. You know why? Because I was in the world in the gym behind us here. Every day, ministering to people, could have many conversations with whoever I wanted. I was the boss. I didn't have to worry about what I said and what I did. It was on my terms. It was on my terms. So here, I had a real privilege. She was worried that when I became a pastor, I would stop associating with non-Christian people and just get to taking care of the, the, the four walls and the people within it. And this is so cool. Some, lots of people in the church have authority. Like, I'm in a position of authority, and some of you aren't. But when you go out there, every one of you is in a position of authority. Every one of you is in the position of authority, because you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, and you're to be a light to this world. So what does this mean? How does this look? What are you supposed to do with this message now as an individual? i'm going to share you three stories to show you how, when you understand this, your life can transform in the way you live each and every day and every social situation you go into. everyone. I want to speak to you uh, this is uh, I've told you this that um, a lot of my inspiration to do the street ministry has come from the church in Coleraine in Ireland, and not I, about i don't know fifteen years ago, I saw that what they were doing. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Well, this was a book uh, just written by the pastor that used to shepherd that church in Ireland, who now lives in California. But listen to the the stories of the people from the Vineyard Church in Coleraine, Ireland, and how they how they understood they were light bearers, and that was their primary purpose as individuals, as Christians. So this is a, the story of a woman with her daughters in IKEA. <laughs> okay, not in the church, you know, serving in ministry, but in Ikea. All right, a friend named Amanda was shopping at Ikea one day and dragged her kids along. As they all neared the checkout, Amanda was preoccupied and didn't notice that each of her three girls had already lost interest in the experience and had gone looking for an adventure. After Amanda paid for her goods, she looked up and witnessed her kids do something more bold than she would ever do, something that probably wouldn't even have given her permission to do. Her girls were praying for a blind woman. Nobody had instructed them to pray. It wasn't a church gathering. It wasn't a mission trip. It wasn't even a family devotion. It was children commissioned by their father in heaven to bring release to the broken. The children were being lights to the world. They saw a broken individual and clearly had been shepherded well. They couldn't wait to bring the kingdom of God into that IKEA store for that blind woman. How about a husband and wife in vacation in Hawaii? Russell and Vicky were on vacation in Hawaii. It was a time to rest and do what they loved to do, and they loved to reach people with the love of Christ. They seized every opportunity to explore Hawaii and extend the kingdom. One day, Vicki went to the restroom in the hotel, and while she was there, she felt the Lord saying to her to speak to a lady in the next stall. And the words came to her, she is far from me, addicted to drugs, and I want to help her. Vicki finished her business, then awkwardly hung around in the restroom, pretending to powder her nose while waiting for the lady to emerge. When she did, Vicki greeted her and said, this will sound a bit strange, but I followed Jesus Christ and I felt him say that you were struggling with an addiction and he wants to help you. The lady broke down and Vicky prayed for her in the restroom. One more, and I love this one, page 164. <laughs> this is an 81-year-old man who came to know Jesus on the streets of Ireland from the ministry that the Colerene Church had on the streets of Ireland. He was 81 and was healed up physically and gave his life to Christ. Now listen to this guy. This is him, his name's Tom, he's speaking personally. We went to the train station this morning There was a woman standing outside having a cigarette, so we asked if there was anything we could pray for her for. She had too many troubles to mention, but she would like prayer. After we prayed, I asked her what happened during the prayer. She said she experienced incredible peace and had never felt anything like that before in her life. We then shared the message of Christ with her, and she asked him into her life right there. Another girl was standing nearby at the same train station, so we asked her if there was anything for which she needed prayer. She had said that she had a sore stomach. Again, we prayed and the Holy Spirit came upon her in a power and completely healed her. She said, I have no pain now at all. So we went next door to the market where we saw a woman using a Zimmer frame, a walker. As usual, we asked her if she needed prayer for anything. She said she was crippled with pain, so we prayed and God showed up for her and filled her as well. We shared the message of, with him, of Jesus with her, and she also asked him into her life. You see what's happening, Genesis House? They've embraced their purpose. It doesn't matter if they're in a bathroom, they're on vacation, they're at work, they're at a train station. They're asking the Lord and looking for opportunities to minister to the brokenhearted and the people who are lost. Could you imagine if every single one of you who's named Jesus as your Lord started this year? And every single social situation you went into looked for these opportunities and started to pray over people? What kind of stories would emerge in Okotoks as we started to do this more faithfully? Let your, good, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Here's how I think we should start. Every one of you has one thing every morning that you do without fail. Besides, get out of your bed. <laughs> If I were to ask you, what's the, like, you know, lots of things fluctuate in your routine, but what is the absolute one thing that never changes for you? Hopefully it's brushing your teeth, is one of them. But maybe it's making coffee. Maybe it's just like, you know, sitting on my couch for, in front of the fireplace just for 10 minutes to get relaxation. Whatever that one thing is that's absolutely solid, rocked in your, locked in in your routine, add one thing to it that moment. You pray something like this, Lord, I am willing to embrace the true purpose that you have for my life. I want to be a light in this world. I have failed in the many ways to understand how I can do this. Use me today. Use me today and make me sensitive to the people around me. And the cool thing is, guys, it doesn't matter if you're at work. You don't think, well, I'm at work, so I'm going to be at work, and then I'll just turn off my Christian uh, Christianity. You can still do your work and still listen to people complain, listen to people in fear, listen to people with their hurts. You know, your carpenter beside you go, man, my, my back is so sore. Well, you know, like, I, I don't know, I believe in Christ, and, like, you know, he's a healer. Like, can I just pray for you? Oh, man, I'm so fearful right now. Like, I have to, you know, go to this you know, job interview, blah 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 blah. Well, can I pray for you? It's so simple, but you're going to have to overcome your fear <laughs> of doing that, right? Let's be honest. Why don't we pray? I can tell you why we don't pray because we don't believe God will show up. That's why. That's why. But you know what? I phoned. I phoned uh, John. John Mark, or not John? John Shades. He's the pastor now of. Uh, a church in Inniskill in Ireland who was part of this ministry in the vineyard. And he talked to me on Skype. And I said, how do you overcome fear? And he had a good one-liner. He says, Andrew, if you don't take any credit for any of the things that God does in prayer, you don't also have to take any of the flack for things that don't happen in prayer. So if you don't take the credit for when something someone gets healed, neither do you would have to take the flack if someone doesn't. That's on God's reputation, not yours. As long as he's front and center in that thinking, you're going to be okay no matter what. If everyone, though, did this, you potentially could be more, of, more active in the kingdom than even I, as your shepherd. Because I still have to work from home and get my sermons done, so at least 15 hours a week, at least 15 hours a week, I'm out of commission and being a light in terms of the world. But you're out there at work. You're at Costco. You know, you're at in cahoots or whatever, having wings. <laughs> right? You're doing something that I'm not. Man, this Genesis house could completely look different in terms of the stories that we have. When it's Christmas next year, and then we say, so what has the Lord done? Anyone want to share? Instead of it being awkward silence, it should be everyone clamming for that mic. Clamming for that mic. So that's our purpose. That's our purpose. I'm going to have to get rid of this. Hold on a second. Oh this silly thing. Come on 13. Okay. If we're going to do this and embrace our purpose, we have to overcome one major thing as well though, and understand one thing, and that's who your identity is in Christ. Who your identity is in the Lord. Now, I was thinking about how to word this, um, because the words I'm going to use is very strong. But as I kept rehearsing, what else could I say instead? Nothing could come to me, so I'm going to say it, and it might come across strong, but it is what it is. In order to understand our identity, we have to confront the I suck gospel. The I suck gospel. What do I mean by that? It's the tendency of the Christian community to always look at our shortcomings, our failures, how we don't measure up, and primarily define ourselves by the sin we do. It goes something like this. We're in Bible study, and Pat says, um, you know, guys, I want to share something with you, you. And what is it, Pat? Well, I don't know, like recently I've been struggling with patience. Patience. And like, you know, I'm patient I'm impatient at work, I'm impatient at home, and I can see the people underneath me are really being affected by it, and, and I, you know, my family is, and Laurel's kind of been hiding from me a little bit. And then Roger goes, well, you know what, Pat, like, I struggle with that, too. I struggle with that, too. That's kind of, you know, I go through the same things as you do. And then I stand up and say, well, you know what, we all do that, because we're all a bunch of sinners anyway, and nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So that's kind of what it is, man. So like, we, we're, we're with you, Pat. Like, we get it. Like, we're with you. We're, we're in this whole, I can't get out of my sin with you. And I know why we do it. We don't want to look like we're proud. Like we have anything to offer, right? We don't want anyone to think that we're doing really well when someone else isn't. And we don't want to look like we have it all together. So we just jump on the whole, I'm a sinner camp. I'm sort of stuck in this like, thing I can't get out of. And you know what? <laughs> like, this is going to come across strong. I know the temperature, spiritual temperature of Genesis house. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I'm the one that bumps shoulders with you guys frequently. It comes out of our mouths. We like to always mention our failures and our shortcomings and how we're not measuring up. But here's the thing. Is that truly what God thinks of you? And being stuck in sin, is that really the, the, what the Christian walk is really all about? I went through the New Testament letters and how all the, 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 the 27 books of the New Testament and how they address in the beginning. Did you know that not, not one New Testament letter starts out with this? I, an apostle of God, a minister of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to the church in Philippi, you sinners who are stuck in your sin and are never going to get out. Does he define any letter define the church by the sinful state? Not one. In fact, the most sinning church in Corinth is addressed this way To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling grace and peace. Not condemnation, grace and peace. Look at the the way the Lord defines us in, in in these verses. In our identity in Christ, he says, you are an ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5. You're a bondservant, Revelation 1. You're friends, John 15. You're kings, Revelation 1. You're lights of the world, Matthew 5. You're living stones, 1 Peter 2. You're God's temple, 1 Corinthians 3. You're a royal priest, 1 Peter 2. And you're saints, Philippians 1. And I just stopped there. I could show you another three, four slides. We sound like we're at AA meetings. Hi, I'm an alcoholic. What, is the, what does Corinthians say when you put labels on yourself like that? Like, I'm a sinner. He says, you got it wrong. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. He says, do you not know that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom? Such were some of you. You were that. You were that. But now you are this. You're an ambassador. You're a bondservant. You're a friend. You're a king. Now, I want to show you. Yeah, This is really important that we get this understood. Now, I'm not saying this, that you can't sin once you're saved. I'm not saying that. And that you won't sin again but I am saying this there is no limit to how obedient you can be to God there's no limit to how obedient you can be to God and when you do sin God doesn't say oh you know what you're done with me you sinner he says you're a saint and you need correction the Corinthian like a love revelation I have this against you. I have this against you. I have this against you. We're going through that. But they're called bond servants in chapter 1. They're primarily defined by their status in Jesus Christ. If you ever in front of me ever say this again, we're all a bunch of sinners, I'm going to say you're wrong. You are a redeemed sinner who has the potential to sin. But stop defining yourself as hopeless and helpless. Helpless. That's condemnation. There's no way out. This is an incredible passage in Judges 6. The Midianites have come to come upon Israel, and they're terrified. And Gideon is there. And I want you to see how the angel addresses Gideon. Listen, look at this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oaken, Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the Midianites, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." <laughs> I'm, ten, I'm, ten, I have a, I, I'm not going to, but I want to call you out by name individually and go through each one of the church. If Jesus came to you and said, "You are a mighty warrior," how would you respond? Actually, Lord, I'm I'm a I'm a sinner. You must have the wrong person. You're a mighty warrior. You're a light to the world. You're a living stone in God's temple. You are where God's temple resides. Embrace the identity. It's not false arrogance. It's being able to say, look what Jesus has done in me. Apart from Him, I can be, I couldn't be this without Him. If you're going to offer hope to people, you have to say He makes a difference beyond forgiveness of sin. <laughs> you have to. You can say, I used to be that, but I'm not that anymore. Thanks be to God. He gets the glory still. It's not false, it's not pride to say that you're doing well. It's actually to say, God did this incredible work in me that I could not have done on my own, and that's why you're struggling, but I can offer you the same hope. It's lies from the pits of hell, and sometimes we embrace them. I love this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me, is, I am of Christ someone could say to me Andrew but that's Paul like he's the Jack dad he's Connor McDavid of the of the Christians you know sorry Pat but just have to throw that out there but but Philippians three seventeen, he then says this dear brothers and sisters pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example that's awesome He's saying this, you don't have to just look to me. There's others you can follow my example in. Someone might say, You're being arrogant, Paul. No, he's not. He says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer him I that live, but him him that lives in me. All the light Paul has to share is because of what Christ has done in him and changed him. That's the message that we bring to others. In this new year, embrace the new purpose the Lord has for you or the purpose that he's always had for you that you may not have understood. Embrace the true identity you have in him. I bet you if the Lord came up to you and said, Hi, mighty warrior, some of you might feel shame in that title. The first emotion you'd feel is shame. No, not me. I'm not a, I'm not even close to being a warrior. I'm a failure, God. No, but I called you a mighty warrior. This is not arrogance. This is me calling you that. I want to end with an incredible statement from, first of all, Alan Scott, who is the pastor of the Vineyard Church back in Coleraine, back in the days and then how he quotes N.T. Wright. And I had the privilege of sitting under N.T. Wright's teaching in Regent College two years ago when he taught Galatians. So I got to meet him. But uh, listen listen to this. This is the conclusion of today's sermon. These are two men that get it. They get it. And I want us to get it as a church. When the Bible calls us a royal priest, let's go back here, second bottom, should come from the bottom? Mark's favorite term. When the Bible calls us a royal priest, it invites us to recognize our identity. That we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. Next, we understand our God-given responsibility to supply the destiny of nations. Kings learn to operate as trusted rulers in every environment. Obviously, when God calls us royalty, he's not sharing his sovereignty with us. It, does, it doesn't... It doesn't in any way diminish who he is, but rather it demonstrates that what he is choosing to do in releasing his sovereignty through us. N.T. Wright says this, You are called to a throne. The wise rule of humans over creation, the earth, is what being made in God's image is partly all about. The image does not refer principally to some aspect of human nature or character which is especially like God. As many writers have shown, it points to the belief that just as ancient rulers might place statues of themselves in far-flung cities to remind subject peoples who who was ruling them, so God has placed his own image, human beings, into this world so that the world can see who its ruler is. Not only see, but experience. Precisely because God is the God of generous, creative, overflowing love, His way of running things is to share power, to work through his image bearers, to invite their free and glad collaboration. Amen. So here's the thing with us all now. Everyone here is a light bearer on kingdom assignment. You now have a kingdom assignment. Not just for 2022, to the day your heartbeat stops. You're a light bearer to the world. You have purpose. You have identity. Let's transform this town. Lord, thank you that uh, you sat in those shores of Galilee and preached such a clear message. You can't get much more straighter than being a light to the world and what that means at the superficial level. But we also want to thank you, too, for the the way Scripture is like an onion. and uh, You peel things back and back and back, and you, you get more and more and more food. And, Lord, as we unpack what it means to be a light, Lord, we can see that your word has lots to say to us. But we don't want to just have this enter into our minds and then sort of stop there. We want this to move to our tongues and our hands and our feet. And we actually start to get uh, busy for the kingdom and shine the way you intended us to do. Lord, I'm grateful that you've made it clear that we're all in kingdom assignments. We all have the power and the presence of God within us. We just haven't maybe realized that to the degree that you do. And may the titles that you call us uh, become the forefront of our thinking. Maybe Lord, from now on in Genesis House, we don't actually call each other by our first name maybe we we walk up to you know to shani and say hi there light of the world <laughs> or maybe go up to alex and say hi there royal priest maybe that's the way we need to identify with one another so that we we understand truly it is who we are in you so we just uh we just ask you to continue to work in our lives and shape our hearts and our minds to really embrace what you have for us and um Yeah, Lord, I'm looking forward to 12 months from now to see what the testimony of the church will be. And uh, back to the original songs that we sung, how faithful you will be as we have faith in you. So we pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.